Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Dakota Aquatic, your one-stop show for the fish and reptile hobbyist. Now, without further ado, let's get on with this fun-filled episode. And here's your host, Andrew. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'd like to welcome Stephen Tillis to the show from Herb Tillis, from uh, Reptilis Herbs. He's a uh, blood python, and I, and I believe you do ball pythons also. Am I correct? A little bit of everything now. I have uh, a lot of carpet pythons, retics, um, ball pythons, some spotted pythons, and golden pythons, white lip pythons. Uh, Pretty good mix of oh some Burmese pythons now but but yeah definitely the main um, focus is is blood pythons. So uh, any what what um, what do you what fascinates you about the blood pythons so much? Well, uh, really it goes back to uh, the first time you know I saw a blood python. Basically, um, I was over at at a friend's house and he did pretty much nothing but but uh, bloods and boas and. Um, he took this big, massive, you know, brick red blood python out of the cage and kind of gave it to me. And, and, you know, the thing's five feet long and bigger than I know what to do with. I never held a snake that big in my life at the time. And, you know, the thing's just sort of sitting in your arms and it's so big that you don't really know what to do with it. And it, it was just such an awesome experience. And it really kind of got me hooked. You know, they have such a big body and such a, such a impressive looking head. Like when you see it, there's just no doubt that it is, a python. You just can't mistake it for, for anything else. So that's really what fascinates me about them and uh, one of the things that's, that's drawn me so much to them. Um, is it true about their temperament? Some people say that they've so, got a nasty temperament. Other people say no, they're not. And... So I would say that, that it's not exactly true but not exactly false either. Um, really, they're known for their bad temperaments because originally the only animals that were available back, you know, a couple decades ago were um, only wild-caught animals coming out of the skin trade. And, and, you know, the wild-caught animals definitely are mean. Don't don't get me wrong. I mean, there's stories, and, and I've seen it personally myself, where a snake would rather break its ribs or break its neck than let you, like, physically restrain it, you know. So they, they definitely can be difficult to work with, you know, repainting your walls and, and crapping everywhere and stuff like that. But um, even those, because I've gotten in adult wild-caught imports, and even they seem to calm down after about six months. But um, as far as captive bred stuff goes, especially when you get into stuff that's been bred in captivity for multiple generations, you really see that, that they came down pretty well. And um, a lot of times you'll get them kind of nippy, out of the egg, probably up until around a year old. But once they hit about a year old, maybe get as, as fat as, I don't know, say like a soda can, um, they really calm down pretty well. I don't have any adult bloods that I can't just go in and free handle without even thinking about it. And I, I have quite a few adult bloods. So it's, and, and even the ones that, for whatever reason, seem to be a bit more excitable than others, once you figure out how to handle a blood python, like I said, I've, I've never dealt with a blood that I couldn't, handle and I've never been I've been bitten once by a big blood and that was a feeding mistake so really uh, they don't really come across their you know bitey reputation it's not really justified what level of a keeper should be able to keep these I mean 
like you got your beginner, you got your intermediate, you got your expert people that know a lot. What where where should somebody be at before they decide to purchase a blood python? Well, it's it's hard to categorize anyone's real, you know, kind of keeping ability, but I would say they're more of like an intermediate type snake. I definitely wouldn't recommend it as like a first pet snake, but if you have any sort of experience with, with reptiles and snakes, you really should do okay with them, especially if you get them in the right setup. And nine times out of ten, anyone who has a problem with blood pythons really isn't keeping them in the correct setup. Um, so once you kind of address that, they really aren't that hard to, to take care of. But um, unless you know sort of the tells and stuff, they can be a bit tricky. So that's why I would recommend them as sort of an intermediate snake. So if you've, you know, I, I would say start out with ball python and, you know, once you kind of kept a ball python for maybe a year or so and, and you sort of understand the animals a little bit better, then I would say go for a blood python. But um, it would be it'd be difficult knowing nothing about reptiles to start off with a blood python and end up completely successful unless you, again, really did a good amount of research. But as far as like a handling level, they're really not too hard to handle, especially if you get a young one, especially if you get a captive bred one. So, again, I would stick them in that intermediate kind of level. Okay. Can you kind of talk us through a, a setup for I, – I know you keep them in racks because you have your, your breeder, but, uh, like, if a person wanted to buy one as a pet, what kind of a setup should they set it up in? So, um, well, I'll actually give out a little plug here. So, in addition to uh, Reptile Serps, Com. I also uh, own redbloodpython.com, and redbloodpython.com is really a care-based website. So um, if you want to go over a really detailed list, I would encourage listeners to go and check out that website as far as, you know, really in-depth care sheets and breeding sheets, and I even have a full morph list. But um, going into care, um, I would say right off the bat, start with an animal that's probably less than a year old and Start them out in a tub. Nine times out of ten, if I have someone who calls me up with a problem with a blood python, they're keeping it in a tank with a heat lamp. That's just not the proper way to, to set up a blood python. So even if it's a breeder, it, whether it's a breeder or a pet, I always recommend people to start them out in like a 15-quart latching sterilite tub with a heat mat and probably Cypress or newspaper bedding. And everyone who sets up a blood python that way will have no problems. I've never had anyone call me with any problems in that sort of setup. Like I said, usually it's, you know, they have it in a tank. So um, 15 quart tub, you know, holes drilled in it, latchable, heat pad on one side, water dish on the other, plenty of hide boxes or crumpled up newspaper for them to hide under. You want to shoot for temperatures probably around no, no hotter than about 85. They really don't need it as hot as uh, some other species. So 85, would be about the max you're shooting for as far as a hot spot. And then an ambient can be anywhere from 75 to 80. Um, but, yeah, most people who have setups like that have no problems with them at all. And then once the snake gets a little bit bigger, I recommend for an adult, um, minimum a 3-by-2-foot cage, but a 4-by-2-foot cage is even better or an appropriate size tub of, of similar dimensions. And, um, yeah, if you... Again, it's pretty straightforward, but if you follow that basic recipe of not keeping them in tanks and not using a heat lamp, that solves 90% of the problems that people have. Uh, what is your favorite morph of them? Because I know they come in all different colors. 
they come in your IVs, yeah. your matrix, they got your albinos, your T negative albinos, and it's just it's pretty amazing the colors. Yeah, I think because I, I took a long time compiling the the morph list on redbloodpython.com, and I think I have almost fifty uh, different combinations and morphs and stuff on there. Um, but I would say, by and large, my favorite has got to be um, probably the T negative albinos, just because they're they look like a candy cane to me. You know, they're they're the true albino blood pythons. A lot of the more common, most of the blood pythons you see marked albino blood python are actually P-positive albino blood pythons, which would be like a caramel albino uh, ball python. But um, the T-negative is just a stunning animal because when you take away the black out of a normal blood python, they just seem to want to be red. I, I've never... When I was originally getting into T-negatives, it was pitched to me this way, and I didn't quite believe them at the time, and now I do. All T-negatives end up some shade of red. Some of them end up amazingly red, like the deepest red snake I've, I've ever seen. And some of them, you know, more on the orangey red spectrum, but they all end up some shade of red. Whereas when you compare it to the T-positive albino, you do get some red animals, but you also get a lot of orange animals. So it's... the the T-negative just seems to be a very predictable, nice-looking snake. Now, you're talking about the brightness of the red. Do you find breeding two really bright red ones together produce more babies that end up growing up to be more red, or is it just a toss of the coin, you know, it could go either way? No, that is one thing that's actually pretty predictable with blood pythons is you can pretty easily select and breed them um, as far as increasing the amount of red in them. And there's a lot of people who have done a lot of work as far as selected breeding, some really nice-looking red lines of um, a couple of different morphs and even just normal snake or normal blood pythons. But, uh, yeah, they're really easy to selective breed for the amount of red. It seems to have a very high genetic component that translates to offspring really well. For someone going out to the to buy one. Now, I've purchased from you in the past, and they're excellent animals. I've never had an issue with any of them. Um, if somebody were to come out and purchase, to go purchase them, what are things they should look for in a breeder or that they should look for if they're at a show when they look at an animal that, you know, that would be like signs not to buy that animal? So, by and large, I would say that the biggest sign is probably to avoid the import animals and most of the even the cats that's hatched ones, I would tend to avoid, and this is why. Um, don't get me wrong, you can end up with cats attached animals that do absolutely really well, but the problem is a cat attached animal tends to go through about three or four people's hands before it actually ends up with you, and in that time frame, any sort of feeding data or, you know, kind of husbandry information can get lost along the way. Kind of like when you're playing the telephone game, the more people it goes through, you know, the more chances there are of something going wrong. So I would say avoid some of the captive hatch stuff um, unless you're willing or know exactly what you're, you're getting into because there are some really awesome captive hatch stuff you can find if, you're, if you know what to look for. But um, if you're sticking with captive bred stuff, you really can't go wrong. And, and the other stuff I would say to look out for is um, – some lineage data, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, there's some people who go absolutely crazy with lineage data to the point where it's like, I don't know, how can you keep it all straight? But 
Um, you definitely want some lineage data just to make sure that what you're getting is, is going to be a quality animal. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, and then obviously the other stuff you're going to watch out for is, is making sure you're asking the right questions. You know, what are you feeding it? How is it eating? How many times has it eaten? How old is it? Um, you know, that kind of basic stuff. And then, you know, once you get that foundational information, really it just it's a matter of what stands out to you. Some people like the yellow-looking ones. Some people like red ones. The red ones are definitely that classic look that, that seems to be the most popular, but there's definitely people who like all the different subtlety looks of them. Like there's some yellow bloods, there's some brown bloods, and each one of them has their own kind of little following, which is, you know, the, it really comes down to personal taste, which is what's so awesome about it. What, um, where, where do you see yourself in the, in 10 years from now? Do you see yourself still breeding uh, blood pythons or expanding it or? That's a, that's a definitely a tough question. Um, so right now I'm still finishing up college. I'm basically up one year left. And then, um, right now I'm gearing up to do the, the snake thing pretty much full time after I graduate and I'm pretty much there just a matter of, you know, getting all the ducks in the row so I can go full, full time. But, um, I'm working with, for another snake breeder as well here in the area, uh, Eugene Bissett. So I'm, um, doing a lot of his breeding management and stuff like that. So that's keeping me very busy. So I, I definitely see myself with a job in the reptile industry. It's, it's, uh, I, I was actually thinking about it the other day, pretty much every dollar I've ever made in my entire life. And granted, I'm only 20, so it's not really that big of a feat, but every dollar I've ever made has been generated from the reptile industry. So, um, I definitely enjoy it and I definitely love what I do. So I, I see myself definitely, uh, chugging along in the future and, and I'm investing a lot as far as websites and infrastructure and, and stuff like that to really make myself more of a, a retail presence and really kind of expand the blood Python information network as well as um, offer some non-traditional type stuff. Like I'm venturing more into reptile artwork and stuff. So I'm trying to offer blood Python artwork as well as, you know, live animals and stuff like that. Just, trying to become a one-stop shop for people who are just really passionate about blood pythons. And I can definitely see myself continuing that into the future because I really do think the blood python communities or the blood python market is going to expand. And with that, there's going to be a demand for information and all that kind of stuff. So that's really where I'm focusing my future on. You're the most successful young person I know doing it. You've been doing, I've been following you for many years now and you just, very impressive. Do um, you see any of these laws that they're trying to pass affecting the mar blood on market at all? Uh, well, first off, thank you. I, I appreciate that. But um, as far as laws, blood pythons have been, for the most part, overlooked. I mean, there's there hasn't been any suggested um, regulations directly mentioning them. There's been some where you might run into problems where, like, you know, certain laws might outlaw python that exceeds, you know, a certain length. But um, blood pythons, being that they're not very long, sort of kind of usually fit under that suggested maximum length or whatever. But um, going towards the future, because we are facing a, a reptile 
I would say a negative um, negative outlook via the general public as far as legislation goes against reptiles. I, I could see it potentially becoming a problem in the future, but what I will say, because I live in Florida, Florida has definitely a lot of regulations, both uh, against and for, you know, keeping certain animals. But what's really amazing about the state of Florida is there's, there's um, pretty much a way to get just about any species of anything that you could really desire to get, but it's not always easy. But So, so they make sure you're qualified and they make sure you work for it, which sort of gives us more legitimacy and, and a little bit of peace of mind, whereas we have um, programs in place where, if someone goes out and buys an alligator, you're guaranteed that they know what they're doing, which sort of gives us a better foothold as far as defending ourselves against legislation and, and stuff like that. Um, so the fact that we have so many of the big reptile um, suppliers, because we have both the supplier of PetSmart and Petco within the state of Florida, they really sort of respect us as an industry, which is really a good a good thing because Florida sets the precedent for a lot of other states as well. So going in the future, I, I tend to be positive as far as the potential we have towards becoming sort of a legitimate industry, especially within the state of Florida, and hopefully that will sort of lead across to other states. But, um, you know, some people feel a bit more negative about it, but um, – I think the state's always taken care of me, and I'm pretty happy with the laws we have in place. It makes me feel a lot more secure that Joe Schmo can't go out and buy a cobra, and I think it makes other people feel more secure too. So, yeah, I, uh, I kind of I say this, and some people get upset. And I said more states need to follow Florida's lead on how people they don't seem to have a problem getting anything. They just make sure you're qualified and capable of caring for the animal properly, and because you get like it, it, some states, as soon as something happens, they turn around right away and just ban them immediately without even trying to set up some kind of a security system to protect the people and to protect the people who want to own them. Exactly, and because the the easier response for any state agency is just to say, okay, it's we'll just make it all illegal. Florida really definitely tries to work with, with keepers, which I have a lot of respect for. Now, and I'll use this as an example because I have Burmese and reticulated pythons, which are both conditional species in the state of Florida, and applying for the permit to get them wasn't really that hard. Um, it just required a little bit more work, and part of that was I need to send them an inventory of all these conditional species I have every six months, and then also every year and to get the permit, um, I had to be inspected by a state officer. And, you know, that makes me feel a little bit more secure as far as, again, you know, a 15-year-old kid couldn't go out and just buy a retic or buy a Burmese. You know, they actually make sure you're permitted and inspected before they let you get any sort of animal that could potentially be dangerous. And, you know, some people very, you know, don't want somebody coming into my house or anything like that. But, Again, I would rather have it this way than have it all straight out illegal. And I don't see them making Burmese or retics illegal within the state of Florida anytime soon because, again, we do have this legitimate type permit in place. That also kind of protects the animal, too, so that they know that, you know, they have to come out, like you said, and inspect you once a year or something. That makes sure, that, you know, the animal is getting the proper care. Because I know a lot of people, exactly. when they don't, 
you know, it, it's a kind of a win-win situation as far as I'm concerned. And I think more states need to follow the Florida law way they do, that they handle it. And one of the other benefits that people definitely underestimate is just the value of knowing your local um, wildlife officers. Like I can call up uh, the guy that does my inspections any time of day, and if I have a question relating to anything or, you know, if if I just need to talk to him about something, it's, you know, the the value of knowing him on some sort of personal level because I interact with him every, you know, every year or so, um, is very valuable, and a lot of people kind of underestimate that value. It's a lot of times in life, it, it really comes down with to relationships and who you know and how well you know them. And um, the program we have in place kind of does tend to foster that relationship, which is I, I view it as a, a good thing. Now, some people don't always get along with their inspectors and whatnot, but you know, to that I say, you know, they're everyone's everyone's human and everyone is is capable of making mistakes. So it's it's worth it to, to get to know people and sort of foster that relationship. Yes, because now I was asking some questions about some native species, and uh, my local officer didn't know. He said, no, you can't keep the native species. And then he said, call his supervisor, and his supervisor said yes, and then another supervisor said no. I finally had to get – it took me, a, a, like, a good month to get all the way up to the top guy who answered my question and said if you know, you can keep it, and if there's any questions, you know, if somebody comes by and says you can't, you just tell them to call me. I mean, and if they had, like, a better system in place, they would all know the answers that they that you need to know. Exactly. So, um, yep. Oh. So talking about your re- changing the subject just a tiny bit, what, what, what retakes do you have? Do you have, like, any morphs or anything or just... Um, yeah, I basically just have a pair. Um, yeah, the retakes I have, I have a male uh, purple albino and then a female golden child head for purple. Um, and it's just something I've, I've always wanted, you know, just a pair of retakes. And it doesn't have to, you know, because as far as an investment goes, commercially, some people make a lot of money breeding retakes, but I don't know. It's not something that I want to really get into a big commercial venture. I've just always wanted a pair of retakes to breed and sell. And so I was really excited to get my pair of retakes. So I have that nice purple albino look at male and then, you know, that sort of jet black looking, um, what are they called? Golden Childs, which, you know, it's just awesome. It's like having a giant D. Alberts python. <laughs> so, um, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your websites and stuff that you have that people can go check out and if they want to purchase something or anything like that? So right now I have two main websites. Uh, Reptilesherps.com is basically all my for sale stuff. Um, so if you want to actually buy a blood, it'll be through Reptilesherps. But then redbloodpython.com is really my, my informational care-based website. And you can still get to um, reptilesherps.com through redbloodpython. So that's sort of where I've been sending people more more so now. Um, but Redwood Python was really made to be more of a community-based website where, you know, I could post up people's pictures of animals that they produce and really get sort of a general morph list out there because right now nothing like that really exists. In addition to, you know, a nice care-based website and uh, breeding questions and, you know, a Q&A kind of set up. So really it's supposed to be, Eventually, I'd like it to be the go-to site as far as 
uh, blood python care. And eventually I do think it will get there. It's definitely been growing, and there's definitely been an increase in visitors to the site. So right now it's just been a matter of web engine optimization, which or search engine optimization, which people have made entire careers off of that. So that's been my newest sort of project where I've been really trying to get that site better in the rankings. So it's getting there slowly but surely, and I think in a couple of years uh, the site's going to be really huge. So. Yeah, I, I know by going to your blood Python site, it's just the information is phenomenal compared to most other sites. And I've been checking, you know, I check them all out. And uh, yeah, I spent a lot of a information lot of, on it. I spent a lot of time trying to get all that in one place, which you know, it's a lot of work. It definitely is. And it's it's a very well set up site too. I must say. Um, Thank you. But. Uh, you know, my show isn't very long, so we only got about five minutes left. Is there anything mm-hmm. you want to talk about real quick? Um, hmm. Nothing that's uh, really jumping out at, me, out at me besides just, um, I don't know, I think it is important to address a lot of the negativity that we experience in, in the hobby. Um, which is definitely discouraging to see for a lot of people. So I would say that going forward, you know, keep in mind that, that everyone is human and, and just sort of keep it civil, I guess. Um, a lot of reptile people aren't necessarily good business people, though they're very passionate about the animals. So I would say um, the, the value of, you know, being able to keep an even head is, is definitely very important if you want to be very successful in this hobby. So... Um, but yeah, with that in mind, that's that's probably the biggest mistake I see people out there making is just losing their temper over stuff that just isn't really justified to lose temper over. So yeah, uh, keep it civil, I guess. <laughs> I have to agree. I, I I watch these people make one simple mistake, and then it's like they're out, being, they're roasted. I mean, everybody and their mother jumps in on them, and you know everybody can make a mistake once in a while. It's, you know, give them a little slack. But uh, yeah, they are well, passionate I mean, about the animals. I, I bred snakes for the first time freshman year of high school, and I remember going to reptile shows as, as you know, a young teenager, and people just didn't take you seriously. And then a handful of people did, and those handful of people were the ones who ended up with my business. And to this day, I still give them a large chunk of my business just because I know I can trust them, and they respected me since day one. So I would say respect is, is very important. And, you know, keep an open mind and... and like I said, keep an even temper. That will really go a long way as far as, you know, advancing you yeah. in, in the hobby. Yeah. I uh, I have to agree with you, you know, give everybody a chance and work with them. If you work with them and help them along, the, 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 the industry will grow tremendously. So um, I'll have to get you back on again because you got more than just – you got fish and – you seem to have a little bit of everything at your house. So, uh, yeah. you know, I'll have to get you back on at a later date and talk about some of your other stuff that you have going on over there. Because I know I've yep, absolutely. you have birds, I think. Yeah, I do uh, some bird rescues. And uh, goats have been my latest thing. So I have goats now, too, and it's, it's been fun. <laughs> I'm just I'm on, out on five acres now um, going to school and managing, you know, five-acre farms. So I'm having the time of my life. It's fun. You keep busy, that's for sure, because I, I, I keep up with the stuff that you do. I mean, you breed rats, you do a lot of stuff. You keep very, very busy. 
So yeah, yeah, definitely, um, definitely very busy. <laughs> so everybody, uh, check out his website, and uh, I do recommend purchasing from him if you're looking for a blood type on because, like I said, I've purchased several from him in the past, and I've never had a problem with Stephen Tillis and his business sense or anything like that because he's very helpful and he'll answer any questions you have. So feel free to contact him. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. No, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to get you back on again. And uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in. And have a great uh, rest of your week there, Stephen. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to Dakota Aquatics. Please join us next week for another fun-filled episode.